Well, what are you full of this morning? It certainly sounded like you were full of praise, which is terrific. Another way of asking that same question would be this. What's your source of energy? Energy is in the forefront of the world these days. Somebody told me, somebody in the know, that China is opening two new coal-fired energy plants every week. A losing athlete usually blames the winning athlete for having cheated on getting energy from steroids or some other drug. The advertisements say sugar gives you go. Long-distance runners carbo-load the night before the race. Cyclists apparently have blood taken from them, oxygenated, and just before the race, they are transfused with oxygenated blood. And if you wanted to really become a multi-billionaire overnight... Just find some way of transfusing energy from a four-year-old into his 30-year-old mother. <laughs> we live in a world that requires terrific energy of us just to keep a pace of everything that's going on in your work, your neighborhood, your kids' school, your church, it's exhausting just to say it. <laughs> and then on top of that, God calls us to be his ambassadors. So more energy is needed of a Christian than of an unbelieving person. And I want you to notice the focal point of our worship this morning is this table. And in a sense, it is a place where we carbo-load <laughs> for the race in the week to come, and where we drink the oxygenated blood of Jesus, it's related to energy. God has said that there will be glory in the church, and that takes energy. So what's your source of energy? What would our government think of an ambassador who went to a needy place and tried to do his ambassadorial duty with his own resources. Well, he would get sacked because the glory of America is tied up with that ambassador and what he does. And so, in a sense, the resources of the nation are there for the ambassador to do his work. And you think God will do any less when he wants to glorify his name than give the required energy to his ambassadors? As we read the scriptures this morning, I want to just say a word about them in advance. Uh, we really take the Bible seriously in this church, and that means every word is significant to us. And if we think every word is significant, then we also take note of the grammar of every sentence. And it answers a lot of 
questions if you look at the grammar and it prevents us from going astray. The section that I'm going to read and expound and apply is crucial to live this life as an ambassador so that God may have glory in Christ's body. Uh, and rather than explain the grammar afterwards, let me just say a word about it in advance so that you can look for it as I read. In the passage that I will actually expound, there is one main verb. And a verb is the doing word of a sentence. And it is followed by four participles. Huh? Well, there is one primary action and the four participles, which are also verbs, all relate to the main verb and expound it and also explain it and tell you what the dynamic of that main verb is. And so they borrow the thrust of the main action, but they add a fuller dimension to it and they flesh out the skeleton, if you like, and add muscle and heartbeat to it. Or to use a different picture, they interact dynamically the way the gears in your automobile react and interact in the gearbox, providing drive to the drive shaft. So, for example, I might say, drive this automobile, starting the engine, engaging the gears, releasing the handbrake, and depressing the accelerator. One main verb, one action, drive, but you do it by means, and these four things explain and also draw their whole reason out of that main commandment. You'll notice that in English, participles often end in the word in the letters ing. It's a giveaway that it's a participle. And so I have added the ing where the translators left them off. It's not a hard and fast rule, but it just makes them stand out so you can look for that. And now quieten your heart. You're about to hear the word of God. Uh, listen with your full intensity. I'm going to read verses 11 to 18 of Ephesians 5 in a translation called The Message because it's very fresh there. But then verses 18 to 20, I'll skip to the New International Version because it's a better study Bible because the message is more of a paraphrase. So here we go, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11. Uh, don't waste your time on useless work, mere busy work, the barren pursuits of darkness. Expose these things for the sham that they are. It's a scandal when people waste their lives on things they must do in the darkness where no one will see. Rip the cover off those frauds and see how attractive they look in the light of Christ. Wake up from your sleep. Climb out of your coffin. Christ will show you the light. So watch your step. Use your head. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly, 
make sure you understand what the master wants. Don't drink too much wine. That cheapens your life. Drink the Spirit of God. Huge drafts of Him. Or to put that in the NIV, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, here's the main verb, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So let's put it together again. The main verb is an imperative, which is a fancy way of saying it's a commandment. And that is expanded by the four participles, speak, sing and make music, always give thanks and submit to one another. You should be able to say right away, whoa, I'm lacking in some of these. I've got a ways to go. And I'm so glad the grace of God will come to me today to grow me in all these areas. Now, let's notice the grammar here. That imperative, that commandment is in the passive voice. And so it is translated, be filled. And that's telling us something important. It means you can't fill yourself. It means... God is the author of the fullness that you need to be an ambassador. It is God who will fill you so that you can live a life that is climbing out of that coffin <laughs> where you are waking up from the dead. Only God can do it. And then it is in the present continuous tense and it could then be translated, be being filled. Go on being filled. Never enter a single day without the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Never do anything without the fullness of the Spirit. Never have an argument with your wife without the fullness of the Spirit. Never interact with a neighbor without the fullness of the Spirit. When things go wrong in the church or in your home or in your relationships, it is most likely because you have not addressed the issue in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So it's a gracious commandment that comes to us. And you notice that it is a commandment. It's not a feeble suggestion. God saying, you know, it would be nice if you felt like it and you had the time just to seek the fullness of the Spirit for your living. No, no, this is a commandment. It's an imperative in your life because you need that energy. Without this imperative, you're floundering around. You're staring up at life from your coffin. And you are told, wake up, get out of that. 
And in the NIV, it says, understand what the will of the Lord is. So if you're grappling to know what is God's will for your life, the Bible tells you it is that you be filled with the Spirit. So let's look at the four things this morning. Be filled. And the participle, the first one that goes with that is that you will be speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Whoa. <laughs> that mean we've got to become opera stars to speak to each other because we're going to sing to each other? No, I don't think that that's what the intention is at all. You will know that in your own devotional life, the Psalms play a great part. In the Psalms, we have every situation in life confronted devotionally, and every experience of life is written there in a relationship with God and the search for God. And so the Psalms and the hymns and the spiritual songs form sort of the nub of your devotional life. And what the apostle would therefore be saying, if this is true, and I, I think it is, he is saying, make sure that you share your devotional lives with one another. He's not talking about the method of communicating. He's talking about the substance of it. So how much of your devotional life do you share? How long does it take you to get from how's the weather and I had a flat tire and my neighbor's an irritation to saying, I'm experiencing this in my walk with the Lord. For the fullness of the Spirit promotes that. And by doing that, we encourage the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And you probably know that, that you've been through a discouraging moment and somebody came along and told you something about their devotional life and all of a sudden it was as if you were climbing out of your coffin. No one can disturb the heart that is worshiping God. And so the next one goes on to worship giving thanks to God always and for everything. Got to thank God for my cancer? No, I don't thank Him for my cancer. I thank Him that He's with me as I confront my cancer. And I thank Him for His presence. I thank him that he's got a purpose which I don't understand. But I trust him. And therefore when I trust him, I praise him. And so I'm giving him my entire life in praise. Giving thanks always to God the Father. Whenever then you are confronted with a situation that is more than you can handle you start giving thanks to God for the situation, thereby introducing Him into the situation. Isn't it interesting that grumbling, whining, and moaning were the besetting sins of Israel? 
And the book of Hebrews tells us, for this reason, God made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years. I give you some idea that God doesn't like whining. <laughs> Just compare the two things, whining and thanksgiving. In whining, you are multiplying your misery and broadcasting it to everybody. In thanksgiving, you are intensifying your joy in God and multiplying pleasure to everybody. Think about actual situations where you've been with a whiner and a worshiper who's giving thanks. And just think about the difference. Grumbling dethrones God. It says, God, why are you doing this? I'm questioning your wisdom and your integrity, your providence and your power. You've lost control. And gratitude, it exalts God. It affirms Him. It builds confidence in Him. And the focus of a life of whining, well, it's the uncertainties of life that are the focus. The house has got no storm cellar. And so anxiety is multiplied because you've got nowhere to go. You've slammed the storm cellar door and locked it with your whining, the key of your whining. But in thanksgiving, God becomes the focus and there is a lot of security for confident and bold living. And you can say, I don't know how this will unfold, but God is in this. Let's go. Let's bring glory to him in the church. It's as if there was a bungee cord attached to the bridge of your trouble. And you're going to make it the ride of your life. <laughs> the social implications are that a whiner brings an unpleasant atmosphere of disgruntlement that sours everything about their lives. Even unrelated things are tainted. It's like being in Alaska in the summer and you're constantly getting rid of mosquitoes and those little black flies that suddenly bite you and the blood starts flowing. It spoils everything. And those who are giving thanks, well, there's a general sweetness about them, the life of a, of a grateful person. It's like a burst of sunshine shafting through the dark clouds and illuminating the landscape, enhancing even unpleasant things. And on personal relationship level, come on now, be honest. <laughs> Do you like being around a whiner? They're lonely people. They're lonely because nobody wants to hear them complaining day in and day out. And so the loneliness exacerbates the misery of the complainer. And a cheerful person, well, they have got a magnetic attraction, don't they? It's wonderful to stroll through a fruited bower where there's the scent of the, the blossoms and the fruit hanging lush on the vine. And that's the life of a grateful person. So... 
start giving thanks and you promote the fullness of the Spirit. And as the fullness of the Spirit comes, He promotes the dynamic of thanksgiving. And then we come to the third one, or is it the fourth one now? The fourth one. No, we missed singing and making music in your heart, didn't I? Wow. Yeah. Let's go back to the second one. I'm sorry, uh, the slides probably were wondering what's going on here. Be filled, and that means singing and making music or melody in your heart which is very simply living a life of worshipful communion where your heart is ever seeking and engaging with God. A worshipping heart cannot be disturbed. And so this becomes the first response to all of life. And I know what grievous burdens many of you bear. In your families, with your children, in your marriages, in your homes, with circumstances, with illness. How easily the heart can be overwhelmed and become desolate. But the fullness of the Spirit and the heart given to worship of God bring His presence in all its fullness. Now let's go to the last one, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The book of Proverbs says, many counselors make for safety. And this aspect of the fullness of the Holy Spirit calls us out of our isolation and puts us into a community that loves us And that community becomes a mirror for us. And in that mirror, we see things about ourselves that we would not see unless there was a mirror held up before our eyes. And I submit to this community to which I am accountable. We are all of us people under authority. The authority of Jesus, but also the authority of the body of Christ. And I hope you got a community where you can really speak about the stuff and nonsense in your heart. Where you can tear down the barrier and all the nice facade that you have. And with somebody totally honest and trustworthy, you can talk about those issues and pray about them. Well, I hope then that all of this arouses an intense desire in you to say, oh my, I want to be filled with the Spirit. I want to be this ambassador who brings glory to Christ in all of my life. So let's have a look at how this happens. Remember, it's a passive commandment. So how does God fill you? And we hear the word of Jesus in Luke chapter 11. He says, so I say to you. It's in a context of prayer. He's just taught the Lord's prayer. And in the context of prayer, so I say to you, ask. Ask. And it shall be given unto you. 
Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the tense of the verb is the present continuous. Everyone who asks and go on asking and never stops asking, this one goes on receiving. He who seeks goes on seeking, is ever seeking, never stops seeking. He's the one who finds, and to him who knocks and knocks and never stops knocking, but always wants access to God, to him the door will be opened. Which of you, being fathers, if your son asks for a fish, Daddy, Daddy, he says, I'm hungry. And you say, my son, I really love you. Why don't you close your eyes and open your mouth? And here's this little trusting boy standing there, and you kick over a rock and pick up a nice big scorpion, and you say, oh, this is going to be funny, and you pop a scorpion into his mouth. You being evil know how to give good gifts. You would never do that to a little trusting boy. How much more does your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who speak in tongues, obey the law, jump through hoops, do somersaults, walk the tightrope? None of that stuff's there to those who ask Him. So the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 3 takes this whole thing and he puts it into the perspective of gospel truth or of grace. You foolish Galatians, he says, who has bewitched you? This is a bewitching thing that will lead you astray before your very eyes. Here, here on this table is Christ crucified. I want to know just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law? That is, when you came to Christ, did you receive Him then? Were you baptized in the Spirit, to go back to last week, by observing the law or by believing what you heard? And the answer is very evident, isn't it? We all came to know Jesus by believing what we heard. Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal through the flesh? And so he brings it right back to the operation of God's grace. So you want to be filled with the Spirit. You ask and you say, Receive. I once had a young university student in one church I was serving say, I'm really struggling in my spiritual walk. And I said, well, let's get together. I'll come and have lunch with you on the campus. And so we had lunch and we talked about all of this. And I was struggling to get this idea of grace for the continuing journey across to him. And so I said, I offered you the gift of friendship, and how did you receive the gift? He said, well, I showed up. And I said, and what else? I'm paying for the lunch. He said, well, I say, thank you, and I I eat. (laughs) And that's what it is. God is saying, here's the gift, and you simply say, oh, thank you, Lord. And you eat. 
So every time something comes up in your life, you say, oh, that's Jesus knocking. Thank you, Lord. And in that thank you, you are receiving. And so my life is made up of maybe a million thank yous a day because that's how much I need Jesus. I want him every moment. And so the heart is constantly saying thank you. But there are those defining moments of difficulty where I realize if I do not at this moment go into this thing in the fullness of the Spirit, I am dead. And so I am deliberate about my thank you as well. And then the more you say thank you, the more it becomes sort of part of your daily walk with the Lord and you back to gratitude, one of the dynamics of the fullness, back to worship, back to submission. And now you start speaking about it and you've come full circle. What are you full of? Some of you have never experienced Jesus in that initial act of grace. And you thought Christianity is about being in church and about being a nice person and about loving your neighbor as you love yourself and uh, living by the golden rule. That's all the works of the flesh. That's discouraging stuff because who of us can love our neighbor the way we love ourselves? You know, go and brush his teeth every morning. <laughs> Put deodorant in his armpit sort of thing. Well, you do that for yourself. So we can't possibly love our neighbor as ourselves. And so if you're relying on that to have a relationship with God, you're in a coffin. And now this scripture says, come on, get out of it. Here is Jesus saying, just accept this as a gift. And so what will then begin to fuel your life is the dynamic of the Holy Spirit in a close walk with Jesus. As we come to the table this morning, will you bear that in mind that you will be eating and you will be drinking and it's like the divine energy broken down to a physical level so that you can make the spiritual connection and be filled with the Spirit even as you eat and as you drink. Let us pray together.